You're watching Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. It's the only podcast offering unfiltered guidance and direct advice for anyone in the financial services and wealth management industry. Learn more today at EliteConsultingPartners.com slash podcast. And now, here's your host, Frank LaRosa. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. I am your host, Frank LaRosa, and I have another great show for you today. For those of you uh, listening to us on uh, on iTunes, thanks for joining. If you want to uh, see what we look like during the on a Friday afternoon or Friday morning, check us out on our YouTube channel at Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. So today I have uh, Rich DeSalvo on the line with me today, someone that I've been working with for, we've been working with for a little while now and more and more. Uh, Rich is the CEO of F3 Logic, a Gallagher company. Uh, Rich, welcome to the show. Thank you, Frank. Nice to be here. It's great to have you on here. Uh, you know, one of the things that we try to do for our audience with this show is really bring bring our audience ideas and strategies and things that can help them with their practice and really educate them with with what's going on out there. There's so many options. There's so many choices for advisors to pick from growing their practice, whether it's wires, whether it's regionals and who's a regional, who's a wire and independents and RAs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, the, and a couple of the common themes that everyone's always talking about is valuations and, you know, autonomy and all this other stuff. And so I thought with, you know, your platform is definitely different, right? It's definitely something that's not talked about on a regular basis. So today I want to use this time to really educate everyone on what is F3 Logic? What do you do for advisors? Who's Gallagher, right? That was a recent transaction that you went through. So, um, and you know, and why, you know, why does F3 Logic exist? Sure. So, so hi, hi, everyone. And Frank, thanks again. So look, all it's been 30 plus years in the business and I love the business. I actually was at Morgan Stanley for many years and I ran different uh, product areas from mutual funds, offshore funds, closed end funds. And it was a wonderful career. And after 2008, I decided it was time to take a break and relax a little bit. And uh, did a little uh, Fox News on the business channel. And I really got into this business and learning how to understand and build businesses. So we actually started with a couple of friends, uh, fiduciary focus first or F3 logic. And it really was an RA aggregator. And the way we went a little different, though, is we took some large advisors, brought them all in, gave everybody equity, also built some uh, investment management products along the way. And lo and behold, we became almost $2 billion of AUM very quickly. But we actually built an incredible technology stack. That's where we spent the money. In fact, it went so well. Five years later, which actually was their anniversary, was October of last year, Gallagher, Gallagher Insurance, actually decided they wanted to get into this space in a, in a big way. They had over a thousand employers, over a million plan participants of all the relationships they have and said, we need financial planning. And we'd end up having a very nice marriage. We became a merger partner uh, effective October 1st of last year. So not only with a strong cadre of advisors, incredible technology, we've built something now that I think we want to be, you know, um, we become the anchor as we actually bring on more, more advisors and more businesses. And lastly, the other tangential to this that we do that I think we'll touch on, Frank, is there's REAs out there. They're not going to come join us as an IAR. There's no need. They're already RAAs, right? However, they need um, strong platforms, and they don't want to necessarily go hire people. They don't want to go try to get contracts and worry about minimums I have to pay every year. What if I don't get all those recruits? i got to still pay these minimums. 
So we've actually set up a complete technology stack. We can be their complete technology outsourcing uh, firm, if you would. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that I found most interesting is that, um, you know, one of the books, I read all different types of books and good to great and traction and all these uh, things that make you efficient. Uh, but one of the books that I, I read recently was um, Who Not How. And, and it's all about, you know, who do you outsource certain things to, uh, not how do you accomplish something? So how do you, you know, how do I handle my compliance or how do I handle my black diamond, uh, you know, account and efficiencies, right? Instead of thinking about how, think about who can handle that for me and and you gain efficiencies. You know, one of the things, so maybe just sort of um, boil it down to exactly what F3 logic can do if an advice if an RIA firm decides to affiliate with you, use you, whatever the terminology is that you want to call it, right? Um, contract with you. How how does that work? I, I'm going to actually start backwards, and most people will say, "Give you all the services I can do." I'm going to start at the end. Our job, and why why did you go into this business in the first place? At the end, especially if you're an RIA, you want a liquidity event. And you want to make sure it's as big as you can get. Well, we actually teach you how to do that. And we set up your business to do that. We are in the value. When we help you get the biggest valuation you can, we teach you how to be in the business. Right. In the business. Right. And I think that maybe you could talk a, a little bit about this without giving away the secret sauce. You know, I think that there's opportunity. And when I say opportunity, what I mean is uh, um, net margin. Uh, I think there's opportunity uh, in businesses in, in that RIA, RIA owners don't fully understand. And, you know, over the over the time that we've been working together for about a year or so, you know, you've sort of opened my eyes to some of those things, right? Um, what are the types of things that you feel like uh, when you're creating valuations uh, or you're, you're an owner and you want to create a valuation, what, what are those things that you find owners are leaving on the table that they should be wise to um, that they're going to pick up when they, when they, if they use a firm like yours. So I'm going to, uh, I'm going to answer the question before I do, I want to set it up. And I think that most advisors think that I'm a, look, I've got great relationships. I'm a great recruiter. I'm going to bring in lots of advisors and I can get a, um, there's a hundred dollar payout and then I'm going to keep 80, I'm going to pay out 80 and keep 20. And they basically stop there. And the truth is that on a weighted basis, that's probably the smallest revenue of anything you can get. So really, you're in the you're in the spread business. It just happens to be with financial advisors. Right. And that's what I that's what I want them to understand. It's the spread. Right. Right. Gotta look at it very differently, listeners. <laughs> okay. So understand that we when you look at other firms out there. They'll say to you, oh, we don't have a platform fee. Well, every, nothing is free. So think about it logically. How is it these very successful publicly traded companies can give you a 90% payout, yet have the revenues of tens of millions of dollars that they have? How can they possibly make it on only a 10-point spread? The math doesn't work. So clearly, they're getting fees in other places. So where do they get them? They're charging platform fees. They're charging, they're getting revenue sharing. They're charging spread off of the SMAs that you're getting. So for example, 
I don't know, if you called 1-800-BALL-AND-GAINER today and said, what's your asset management fee? They'll, I'll make up a number. They'll say it's 30 basis points. But if I called up one of the major investment banks out there and said, How, what is your ball and gainer? It's going to be 40 or 45. You just don't see it. It's nowhere on the statement. So remember, as some people say, it's not on the statement. Then I guess the fee didn't happen. That's really what starts to happen. So everything comes out of the account fee. It doesn't come, it doesn't come out of your pocket or your EBITDA. Even software can have spreads. Custodians, you can create spreads. I talked about money managers. And then eventually what happens, Frank, once you get big enough, you need to call that vendor and start to pinch, <laughs> right? And say, wait a minute, I'm, you're charging me five basis points. I just gave you another 500 million. I should be at four. And when you do that, remember, you keep the spread. So our business has, I will share the seven, eight, nine different ways that you at the REA can garner spread in your business. And that, by the way, is what the buyer is looking for, your spreads. Right, because those those spreads come in, you know, no matter what, as long as you're on the platform, the technology, right? Some firms charge a technology fee of whatever the number, you know, $500 a user or whatever it is, right? The reality is they're not paying Black Diamond or you know, add a par, whoever, whatever tech you want to, Salesforce, Redtail, whatever is included in the tech fee. They're not paying that towards to the technology company. They're paying substantially lower lower numbers because they have the volume and they're marking it up, and that's where they're getting additional revenue. It's it's sort of like you know, in the wire world with interest, right? When why why do banks and Firms like Morgan and Merrill and Wells want advisors to constantly push lending on their clients, right? Hmm. Because they make money on it. They typically don't pay the advisor out on certain types of lending. And so it's pure profit to the firm. Those are the spreads that that uh, we're talking about. But from your perspective, and I know you just went through some, you just went through a, 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 a deal. But we, you know, you're basically in the valuation business, right? Like, uh, but you're not doing valuations. You're just helping, helping firms increase their valuations. From a valuation perspective and a buyer's perspective, why is it so important to not leave any of this money on the table? I, I understand the dollar, right? But just for listeners that are just trying to understand this PE game, right? We just had, you know, uh, uh, Focus Financial. Is just you know they just announced that they're going to go private right through it with a PE deal, you know we hear all this stuff, but I don't think a lot of a lot of listeners understand what PE firms are really looking for. In addition to that, you know oh, I'm making a ten point spread kind of thing. So I'd, I'd ask you all to think about it as, uh, and I'm going to use simple math. And you've probably heard out there some big valuation numbers, right? We've heard of people getting twenty times their EBITDA numbers. Right. Well, how did, were they able to even accomplish that? First of all, it's also larger deals tend to get larger multiples. But let's just talk about a simple business just to make it simple for, to answer your question. But I've got a million dollars of EBITDA. Right. So that's my basically my net net profits that I have. And I can get 10 times that. Well, I've got a check here for what, $10 million. And you seem very happy for that. Well, imagine if I had when I had this business. Let's say for argument's sake, right, that I had some other spreads like we talked about, and I was able to get that up to 
2 million dollars or even 20% more remember it's times 10 so my 10 million becomes 12 million right like it goes very quickly so so what we did at F3 was not only did we have platform fees we also had investment management so when a dollar came in besides charging platform fees on that dollar we got spreads on software fees. We also provide an additional service with another RAA called F3 Investment Management, right? We charge almost like a, um, an asset allocation model on SMAs. Now, all of a sudden, I go from not a platform fee of 10, I could all in the fees could be 20, 30, 40. And before you know it, I'm at a 50% margin. And now the valuation is very different. So every dollar you save is times 10 in my simple math. Obviously, do the math, it adds quickly. Conversely, which really means, Frank, and here's the part I cannot stress enough to people. When you have an expense, you don't want to cut a check because that comes all, it's times 10 on the other side too. So hiring someone for $100,000 before you sell just costs you a million bucks, right? So therefore, if we can take even someone like, like services from a vendor, whether it's me or Redtail or whatever, CRM, whatever you use, and everything is applied at the account level, right, to the, to the accounts, and it doesn't hit your EBITDA, you're saving your 10x. Interesting. Okay. I, n- I never thought about it that way. Yeah. Okay. So I should, what you're saying is I should not hire the next three or four people that I was, uh, that I have come in, that have starting on, on Monday. See? <laughs> but you have to be careful because the buyer coming in is going to go, wait a minute. Your margin's too high. They know. They, I just, I'll share with you in the industry. Normally, they're going to cap your margin at around 50%. So if you come in at 70, they're going to say, no, you're not. We, we know what you're doing. <laughs> and if you come in at 30, then they'll, they won't tell you. They won't tell you. <laughs> they'll price it at 30. I'd love to have 70% margins. I don't have those right now. So. Because think about where they're coming from. We had we had a right when they're coming from is hey, I'm buying you and your business, your ability to continue the rev continue the revs coming in, right? But if you leave, I've got to replace you. So I'm going to put a salary on your head, whatever it is, call it a thousand dollars. You have to go market whatever that market dollar is. So they're going to actually put that into the pro forma. To they're going to pay you a salary, and if you go, they're going to replace you in that salary. I think sellers don't. Um, understand that, right? That you know, if you're a produ- if you're a seller and you're and you're a producer and you're the lion's share of the revenue, um, it's actually not a good thing because the firm is going to look at. Yes, they're going to buy your practice, but they have to replace you. So whatever the cost to replace you is going to be, they're going to take that out of the deal, right? You know, and so or they're going to keep you on. And I think that I. I come across this sometimes where I'm working with a seller on on something and like, oh, if someone's gonna give me, you know, I, I want I want to sell my company for 10x and then I'll stay on board and I'll just service the accounts. Right. But what they don't understand is you know, and then oh, they'll pay me, they can pay me a salary. Like, oh, you know, they'll do that, but they're gonna take your salary out of the 10x to to manage your book of business. So you're not like they think that they can double dip. And uh, and they can't. Correct. And others, Frank, to that's a good point. And another, what they'll also do is you you come in at the bare bottom 
of your P&L. Like you use as little toner as possible, right? You, you everything to keep your expenses down. What the and then all of a sudden you sell and then you say, I need more money to run my business. They're not going to do that either. So the way you've got to think about it is there normally there'll be also be an earnout. So I'm using simple numbers, but they're giving you $100. You may have $80 up front and $20 they'll pay you in two, three years. You've got to you've got to set your business up right. Think of that first year as your first year budget to actually run your business to not only keep what you have but to grow for that earnout. So the so the budget has to be right. So if you did spend twenty thousand dollars a year on marketing, you can't go to zero and then expect twenty thousand dollars to come out again. Your budget you just budgeted yourself zero. So you really have to do it the right way. And quote skimping, nobody wins on the skimp. No one wins on that game. It doesn't work. Interesting. Let's shift gears for a second because um, I think you have an interesting take on. Uh, we we were talking earlier about portability, and you know why does a structure like yours allow advisors that are, that want to be independent a higher level of portability? And what's your what's your thought on portability of a book? And it's an interesting point and question because actually today at Gallagher, we're, we're now currently, now that we've been part of it, we're looking to buy other firms right now. We're actually having these conversations and we're having questions on portability. So it goes not only from broker and non-broker protocol, but much deeper. We're now getting into at a QCIP level, where is everything you have? Because if you've got things that are old alternatives someplace or the old right or the old um wheat cystic sitting someplace those assets may not even come over in the first place i've got to look and see what kind of uh, what custodian you're using because i've got to move probably move those assets i've got to understand what software you currently have and are you in are you stuck in the 80s and do i have to i have to convert everything over to us if you also have a lot of rep as pm Firms don't want rep as PM, right? Or advisor or PM. And the reason is, it's just a lot of liability. And then you're doing the trading. Firms are about risk. And if we have a lot of people doing their own trading, it's too much risk. So really what people want, think about it in the simplest terms. Think of a 401k, and I've got a 70-30 uh, target date. Clean, simple. You buy it, and no one either buy and walk away. No one touches it. So we've tried to make, and people like to see very simple models. So it looks and feels like 401k, and it has retention. There's not a lot of trading going on. No, when the headlines hit, nobody's rushing to sell. Right? There's beauty in simplicity, and that is what the buyers are looking for because they're paying, in this example, 10x that dollar, so it stays. So they want to make sure these dollars will stay. And that so for you to have the esoteric and to come in and talk about how great your performance is, you're ready, Frank. It actually hurts you because if you leave, who's going to do your wonderful performance? Right. So hearing about your hot stock tips is not a sales thing. It actually hurts you. Yeah, I think that's another thing. I I talk to these advisors and they and they say that well because I run a mo I run a better model and I this and my model is is uh, like no other and. I'm like, okay, so who else on your team runs, you know, can can handle that if you're not there? Well, I, oh no, I make all the investment decisions. So I'm like, okay, don't tell a PE firm that because, you know, because <laughs> they're not going to want to hear that. Like, you need an investment committee where maybe you're making some of the final decisions, but there's a committee that um, 
that is setting setting your goals, making decisions on positions, taking positions out or up or down or whatever whatever the case may be. If I'm an advisor, if I'm if I'm at Morgan or Merrill or what doesn't matter what firm, and I'm going down this road of I want to be an R, I want to own my own RIA, right? And I'm talking to Schwab because um, Schwab says they're going to help me, right? They say they're going to help me set everything up. From your perspective, what what does that look like, and how w- would you take me through the process of of supporting me, and I'll say setting me up, but supporting me, whether it's with Schwab or or, or Fidelity, whatever custodians you, you you use, right? What does that look like if I if I'm that if I'm that advisor and I'm like, hey, I like this guy, Rich. I want to work with him, um, but I'm going to do it after Schwab helps me set up my RIA. What does it look like to work with you, and how does that how does it work? Okay. And before I get there, the first thing I have to tell you is be be wary of what you read because I, bluntly, the custodians oversimplify the process. But you know why they do? Because they want, if you're a, call it 100 million AUM, I can get higher break points on your 100 million than if you merge with a billion dollar firm who I'm giving less. It's just the way it is. That's the business they're in to get small advisors and small chunks. That's number one. So they're going to now. Number two is what they don't talk about is you're at Morgan or Merrill, you're at one of these firms, and now all of a sudden you want to start your own RIA. You ready? You can't because you it's it's an OBA. Merrill or Morgan's going to say no. So now what do you do? You want to start an RIA, but you can't open one. They don't tell you that part. That wasn't in the fine print. <laughs> so you technically would have to quit and then open your RIA. So again, it gets very choppy. So when we have these conversations, what we can do is t- sometimes we see them have another firm not related to them, right? You got to make sure you do everything legally. You should hire counsel for this. Like a market counsel is great for this. This, this is like what they do and live for. So they're going to tell you there's another, like an outside entity should buy it, should build it first. And then you buy it for a dollar later or transfer the shares to you later. So you're not doing any violations and not, quote, trading away off your broker dealer. Really important that you do that because you can have a violation on your on your uh, U4, U5, and now you're, you got a business before you even started. Don't be careless on that piece. Another way to do it, though, if you don't have that ability, is you come into a firm like ours, and this is to answer your question, and join us as an IAR. Okay. Now, while you're with and you spring up the accounts, remember, it's our technology that you could eventually use anyway. So I'm giving you the, you got the platform, you're in. Now that you're in and all the assets are here and you're good, you're getting paid again. Now you start your RIA because we'll say yes. We'll actually help you set up your RIA while you're an IAR. Now life is easy. Life is grand. So when you bring you start it, you bring it over. Now you start moving the assets over. All that's now changing is the ownership, but the inf- the the uh, platform, which is us, doesn't change. So your client has no change of experience. Everything's good. Everything's clean. But now it's yours. So the analogy I share with the advisors is: think of uh, share class of mutual funds. It's the same money manager, right? But how you pay for it may vary. But it's the same technology, same platform, same pricing. Everything's the same, except now it's your RIA. 
And whether you do it in six months, six weeks, or six years, that's your choice. So I also share to advisors, right, like in college, it's not where you started your freshman year, it's where you graduated your senior year that shows on the resume, right? So whether you're looking to sell in two years or five years, you don't have to do this day one. Get in, get your platform, whether it's year one, three, or five, become an REA when you're ready. Do it when it's appropriate. That's proper planning. Right. I think it's important. Planning is overlooked. And I think people realize they think it's, it's easy just to sort of just start an RIA. Uh, you got to use a, a firm like uh, like Hamburger Laws, Market Council, um, work with a firm like yours. There's a lot of things that you have to do that if you're an advisor leaving a wirehouse firm that you maybe not realize you have to do. And don't just take the advice of someone at Schwab or Fidelity or Pershing because they're not the ones that are going to actually have to do it. And so you're you're focusing on your clients, you're transitioning your clients, understanding the story. Now, all of a sudden, it's almost like you have to learn a new language on top of your full-time job of servicing your clients. And so looking, you know, having a strategy, sort of like a two-step strategy, if that's what you want to do, is a great way to handle it. I just want to shift gears from it in, in the interest of time. Because you're definitely someone that's been around. You've seen a lot of things. You, your insight's really, really good. What are some of the mistakes that you see advisors, IARs um, making sort of that that are really curtailing their business growth, right? When we look at what's happening today, you look at consolidation. I'm not really talking about consolidation, but I'm really talking about just general practice you know, sort of practice management from your perspective, right? You work with advisors. Yes, you're trying to help them become economically efficient, right? But in terms of practice management, what are you seeing are some of the, you know, the key mistakes that advisors are making today that they that they need to fix in order to grow their practice? I would say that one of the first things I see fundamentally, and it's by the way, and it's not their fault because it's how they were trained. So when they go out and even look at um, changing firms, the first question they ask is, what's your payout? And the next question is, are you sure? And that's pretty much what they ask. And that is the worst question. And I'm going to share with you, but think about it this way. As an RIA, on a weighted basis, the amount of your payout is one of the smallest components of my revenue. And that's the only one you're negotiating on. So you think going from 90 to 92, you nailed it. Meanwhile, it didn't cost me a penny. So I'm just going to charge you more on the other side, on the other spreads. I don't lose in that deal. So I think understanding, you ready? Reading the ADV, which is really the disclosure document of the firm you're going into, and understanding the hidden fees, it's all there. You just got to find it. And I think understand, and I've asked advisors, have you read your firm's ADV? No, they or they think that their deal was special, their deal was different. So sadly, and this is just our business, right? We're happy with the deal we think we got, not necessarily the deal we actually got. So I think you've got to look in the mirror and really figure out what deal am I doing? What did I really have? What did I really just get myself or about to get myself into? That's number one, because it, it, they will crush you on, on yield and hidden costs can be can be very expensive. I think that's the first thing I would think about. The other thing I would think about is, and I see this a lot too, to your point earlier about advisors that love managing money. When you do that, 
it's just less capacity. I can only take on so many clients because I've got to see, should I be buying Apple or IBM today? I don't, well, what am I doing, right? I'm so caught up in managing. But the more I can homogenize my business and find the right partner to asset allocate for me, especially the smaller accounts, right? Those two, three, four hundred thousand and less accounts should be in models, not in rep as PM. And this way you can go actually and go after more business. Instead of getting stuck at your desk, you can be stuck at a new meeting. Right. And as you said before, it actually hurts your valuation. When you go through valuations, there's something called owner's risk. Partly like how much of the business is being brought in by the owner, right? Or a key person, right? Generally the owner, a key person. Uh, but in our world, uh, you know, how how the business is run and how the ma- money is managed is also, you know, part of the risk. And I think that some advisors feel like, well, if I farm it out and I have to pay a money manager, you know, 20 basis points or something, it's going to cost me money and I'm going to lose that in my valuation. So I'm going to run it. I'm going to do it myself. By the way, remember that 20 points in your example comes at the account level, which means it doesn't hit my pro forma. So it doesn't hurt their valuation. Right, right. Yeah. Right? That's number one. And number two, I'll share with you, dear, because you made some good analogies. Um, think about this too. Well, the other question I'm going to ask you as the advisor is your beneficiary beneficiaries. So if I have everyone who's age 90 and I have no beneficiaries, what's the business worth to me? So I'm going to ask you your depth of beneficiaries in your business. Interesting. I never actually uh, thought about that. So if you're listening, think about what he just said. We always talk about the next generation and, and all that and making sure you, you get that money. But what he's saying is make sure that your, you know, your beneficiaries on those accounts are, are deep, you know, contingent beneficiaries. So benef- bennies and contingent bennies, because a PE firm or a buyer, whether it's PE firm or whatever, um, is going to, is smart, going to look at that stuff. That's, that's very interesting. Yes. And, it, and, and I'll share with all of you the more, and let's take it to an extreme to make an example. You had a hundred percent beneficiary rate. And I remember we talked number using the number 10x. You can get more than 10 now. You've earned it. Right. Aside from your, you know, your your new partnership with Gallagher, right? So we 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 know you're excited about that. But when you look at the industry as a whole, and I I I recently had uh, another guest on, I was asking the same same kind of question, right? As someone with your industry experience, looking ahead, looking down the tracks, what are you most excited about? Within the within the industry, within the RIA space, you know, I guess in particular, because that's that's primarily your world. But what are you most excited about as an industry veteran that you see coming? In any business, whether it's ours, and let's go back in our business, whether it's ETFs, mutual funds, right? Even remember four hundred one k plans. It all evolved to oligopolies, didn't it? The moment I say ETFs, you know, you think of certain firms, mutual funds, you know who I think of, 401k, look how it evolved, right? So if I say to you, though, RA aggregators, it still has been deter- hasn't been determined yet. In fact, we could even argue maybe the, the, biggest, the biggest firms hadn't even been formed yet. So I think this business hasn't even come close to be evolving to what it's going to become. And I think it's constantly figuring out change. The PE firms came in. I don't know if they're going to stay. New firms like Gallagher just joined and others as others that are buying firms like crazy at high valuations. You ready, Frank? What if they're wrong? I don't know. Everyone just grabbed right, so we don't know. 
So the point is that this industry, what I'm most excited about, you ready, is being um, comfortable with uncertainty. But I love watching it play out, and I pl- expect to be part of it. Yeah, I have a friend of mine, uh, Ed Milat, and he uses this uh, term, being comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yes. Right, which which if, as a business owner, you know, that's your world, right? That's your life. Of course, that's our world. So, so it's fluctuating every day. And, and you know something, though? It's a question of being a part of it. And even advisors, this is the part I can't stress enough. I understand that the check could be a change in life. I understand that you're being recruited. It's like uh, the, the high school kid who comes into the gym and they get at the university and they announce his name, number starting guard, number 32, whatever it is. It's a rush. But you know something? You've got to put that aside and understand, just think as a business person, not as an advisor. Completely different way of thinking. Yeah. You know, we did, um, I was with a client yesterday and we have another meeting. Uh, we have a meeting on Monday. Uh, with a very large team, and we're going through pro formas, um, comparative pro formas, and we're essentially comparing W two deals to ten ninety nine deals, right? Because you know when you when you compare a W two deal, it's let's say it's one hundred and fifty or two hundred percent upfront, and then you look at ten ninety nine deals, and they're you know fifty, right, or may, or maybe even less, right? Your first reaction is, "Oh my God, I'm uh, that's going to cost me so much money or so much less over, you know, over time." And I'm like, and so we we try to show them, all right, well, that 200% deal, you're signing a 10 or 12 year contract, so that's fine, whatever. Um, so then let's do a comparative analysis of being on an independent platform for that same period of time, right? Because in order for you to realize the entire deal. And a wirehouse, you have to be there the entire time. Otherwise, you owe money back. So, and pretty much every single time, uh, when we show them the numbers, they're shocked. They almost don't believe it um, in terms of the economics and and not even using, you know, your models where there's more scrape involved, right? There's more profitability involved. Um, we show them all the time. That's why I love when advisors are willing to have that conversation with me and keep an open mind about what's a good deal and what isn't a good deal, right? I would argue that you know taking a 200% deal and a 42% payout is over 12 years is not a good deal. Well, and I'll, I'll share with you what people don't realize too, right? Is, is um, if you want to become less marketable, take a 10-year deal and after three years, tell people how you want to leave. And now all of a sudden you want someone else to pay the money you have to pay back. Right. Yeah. You just keep it. It, it keeps spiraling. I work, unfortunately, I work with clients that are, ha, have done that. And it's, you know, it's very it's just difficult to get ahead. Right. And then you having to have those conversations with your clients. So uh, but in any event, um, listen, I, I want to thank you for this. This is this is a lot here. It's a lot to unpack. You, you had a couple really good eye opening statements, e- even uh, for me uh, w- with P.E., so you really think, let me just, I'm not going to wrap up just a second because I, I want to just go back to this statement that you just made about whether you think that they're right or wrong and, and, and firms coming into the industry. Firms are coming into the industry because the margins are so good, right? The cash flow is good. That's really what they're buying. They're buying cash flow. But bear with me. They, they bought at a Dow at 36000 Yeah. Well, that's actually go to my point where I was going with my question is, is it is it that you you see uh, 
sustain buyers coming in, right? Is is that's one piece of it, um, or is it that you see, you know, the, the buyers are coming in? Do you see the deals changing? We I had another. I had someone from Live Oak Bank a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about, you know, are deals going to slow down or are they going to stay steady with new buyers, and just that the deal structures are going to change? Um, what what is your opinion on that? Very interest rate heavy. So you're finding some of the firms that do PE firms that leverage up are slowing down. In fact, I will tell you factually, some of them are not buying this this Q1. They're not cutting doing any, any deals. They want to see where rates are going to go. Okay. And those that are the valuations that I've seen, again, in my own little world, what I've seen in the, about from a year ago have dropped 20, 30% on the upfront, but they're more than more than happy to give it to you on the earnout. Right, so it's deal structure, really, but really, what it comes down to there. Yes, it's less up. It's less upfront. That's what he said. That's what I I believe. Um, you know, two years ago, these buyers were basically just throwing money around like drunken sailors without any without any um, view of risk. I think, which was a mistake. And and firms, you know, wirehouse firms over the years have gotten into that problem by. Deal after deal after deal, bigger deal, bigger deal, basically buying assets, and then the market turns south, and they start choking on those deals because the advisors aren't generating the revenue that they needed to to pay back and cover the amortization of the loan. And I see the same thing happening with uh, with PE firms. I think money's still flooding in, uh, like you know, new firm after new firm, Gallagher being one of them. There's others that come in, but it's just the structures are changing. And they're putting more and more risk on the seller to perform. So if you're thinking about that stuff, folks, think about whether or not you 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 do want to sell. And I will tell you, Frank, I live on this thought, but you're always going to, to all you sellers out there, you're always going to find someone who wants to pay more. It's like an, a, a good athlete. You can always find a team that will always pay you more. There's always someone to pay more. The question is, what are you going to, what are you, what are you going to have to give up for more? And that's, so it's really day two. I cannot tell you how many people I we've learned who went to the highest bidder and are miserable. I, I, I know. I fortunately I see it. I see good companies that had good foundations, good cores, and they 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 see this check. If you're looking at my watching our YouTube channel, I'm holding a pen up, right? They see this check come in and it's two hundred million or whatever it is, and and they get enamored by it, and then they do the deal, and doesn't happen right away, right? Because the shoe hasn't dropped. But a year later, that PE thumb is pressing down on them every quarter to drive a result, and they don't care about what's going on in the marketplace. They just want asset growth. They want profitability. And it ends up slowly changing the culture of what was a good firm. It's funny, but what are most PE firms? They don't call them prop. I don't mean to, I don't mean to say it too all-encompassing, but most don't call it um, people. They're properties. I'm going to look at a property. It's dehumanizing. So one of the first things they're going to look at your book, and here's what they're going to say to you on a PE firm, right? And I'm making this up. Your average advisory fee is 100 basis points. Why can't we charge 110? Right. Or, you know, something, why can't I, I noticed that Morgan Stanley and the others, they put like a an IRA fee of 50 bucks on all their accounts. Can we do that? Look, they're looking at it from a revenue. Their job is to take that revenue and make it higher. So they're in the fee. Remember, you're in the you're in the you're in the financial planning business. The PE firms in the fee business. Yeah, and they're looking at all those things: cutting costs, cutting staff. Can't you operate with more, you know, less staff? 
Um, yeah, just you just look, folks, just be wary about that stuff. So anyway, Rich, thank you very much. This was awesome. Um, if if uh, someone's listening to this and they want to learn more about F3 Logic and what it would mean to work with you, where 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 would they go? I'm going to make it very simple. You can literally call me directly and we can have a conversation. How's that? I make it simple and personal. So my my phone number, my cell up, my personal cell number is 201-787-0799. Awesome. And uh, as always, you can always uh, reach out to me via email at frank at eliteconsultingpartners.com. You can give me a call at 856-316-4651. Don't forget to check out my Instagram account at franklarosa.elite. And um, happy to talk to you. Happy to get you introduced to to Rich and go through that process. We have a number of clients in the process right now with with Rich going really well. um, And with the the new Gallagher um, opportunity, it's, it's... it become an even better story. So, uh, Rich, thank you very much. Thanks for giving my audience some insight uh, from your years of experience. I appreciate it. And uh, thanks for your time. You're welcome, Frank. Thanks for watching Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. If you enjoyed this video, make sure to check out some of our other episodes. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to our channel. And we will see you back here next week.